started. Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. Welcome to episode 32 of the Financial Purpose Podcast. Today, I want to talk about a topic that uh, this is actually my second attempt to record this one. I recorded a full episode on the topic and uh, changed my mind about the direction that I wanted to go with it. So um, I have been sitting on this topic for a couple of weeks, uh, partly because I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to take it partly because I have uh, some other things going on with client work and uh, with being involved in the Scottsdale Leadership Program and also just now starting coursework for uh, exit planning. It's uh, it's just taking a lot of time to kind of think through this one. And uh, I started these notes all the way back in the end of September. So I've been sitting on this now for almost a month, this very topic. And the one thing that I think I want to... I want to really convey about where we are and, and where I'm going with this is this is kind of the state of, of the economy. And I want to do this not in charts and graphs and a whole bunch of crazy numbers to confuse and, and uh, lose <laughs> you along the way if you're listening. But, um, but I want to talk about it in the way that we intersect it and how it impacts our lives and most importantly, I think the role that uncertainty, and that's kind of the key word, uh, the role that uncertainty plays in all of this when we're working on doing things like buying houses, buying cars, putting money in the bank, spending money at the grocery store, earning more money from our employments or our, uh, you know, whatever we're able to do on the side, uh, th- those kinds of things, right? Just how what's happening in the big economy impacts what's happening in the local economy, which is where you and I participate. So I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with some of those things and uh, just kind of give you an idea of where we are, where I think we're headed, because I I think we're, you know, we're definitely in a a situation where there's a lot of um, government intervention that's happened, especially since the pandemic. Uh, We saw the very same thing happened right after the great financial crisis. There was a lot of government stimulus that went in. It uh, prolonged the recovery. It caused a lot of issues. And I think that's where we are now. Um, and so I guess I'll just kind of take off there. You know, the other thing that I think is important for you to know is uh, occasionally I'm going to sip some coffee. I'm doing my very best not to eat this entire bag of buttermints that I found at Office Depot. And uh, who did you know that they have so many really good snacks at Office Depot? Like you go in for paper clips and you come out with bags of Cheetos and, you know, the combos and buttermints. I, now, I only came out with buttermints and I actually didn't get paper clips. But anyway, let's uh, let me let me kick this off here. So what started me down this road is uh, there was an article that came out on September 18th, 2023. And at that time, the national debt had just hit $33 trillion. 
And, uh, and that's a big number. It's important to note that a little more than $2 trillion of that happened between the months of July and September, uh, which, by the way, if you remember back in July, we had that little uh, thing happen where the government had to do their, their shutdown dance and their budget extension and all that fun stuff that tends to happen all the time when there's a, you know, a, a debt ceiling and becomes a crisis. Every time that the debt ceiling deadline comes up, it's now a crisis because lawmakers have to kind of fight about it and, and do all their political theater and garner their votes and satisfy their, who they think are their constituents and the party and all that fun stuff. Um, and they put a moratorium as part of the deal on, uh, on the debt ceiling and uh, they went right ahead and spent about $2 trillion. Now, a lot of money has gone a lot of different places. There were some domestic programs that were funded, um, but a, an awful lot of money has gone overseas. And uh, so here we are, $33 trillion. You know, we had about $9 trillion of that. Uh, stimulus came out of the pandemic. You know, if you go back, we had probably something like 5 or so trillion dollars that was spent on the Iraq war. We had another couple trillion that was spent on the TARP program and the the total bailouts from the uh, Great Financial Crisis, and then we had some some additional uh, debt added during the years of uh, 2011 and 2019. And so here we are, 33 trillion dollars. Um, a large part of that, easily more than a third of that related to the pandemic. And so, so we're near the tail end of 2023. The pandemic happened almost four years ago. And, uh, and of course it's still costing us money. Uh, last summer, the inflation reduction act, I, I think that's a poorly named bill. It should have been called the inflation addition act. And the reason why I say that is because it did anything but reduce inflation um, in fact, it was estimated to cost about $400 billion over a decade. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania's Penn Wharton budget model suggests that it actually might cost more than a trillion dollars. So budgeted for $400 billion, which is not a small amount, looks like it's going to trip over a trillion dollars. So we're $600 billion over budget. Uh, and a lot of that they're saying is due to the strong demand of the uh, generous clean energy tax credits that were baked into that bill. Now, clean energy and that kind of thing, I mean, it's that's another topic for another time. It's, it's, a, it's an exhausting topic. It's a divisive topic, and it really shouldn't be, but that's kind of where we are. Uh, going on with the pandemic, um, I mean, we even have things like if you remember all of the personal stimulus that went out to taxpayers, we had PPP loans that went out to businesses. Um, a lot of that didn't have to be repaid. Quite a bit of that probably should have never even been lent in the first place. And and um, and that really was, was stimulus. It wasn't very much of a loan. And it's too bad that it was called a loan because there wasn't a lot of that money that was paid back. We also had the employee retention credit, which allowed employers who uh, saw a significant decrease in their revenue during the period of uh, around April of 2020 through the end of 2021. If they kept their payrolls, they were able to go back and apply for this credit. Uh, up until about September, I was getting almost weekly two or three 
phone calls and emails and LinkedIn posts uh, or, or sorry, LinkedIn messages wanting me to apply for the ERC and they would help me no problem. And then they would get a commission on it. And the problem with that is I'm a single member firm. I didn't even have employees during that time period. I don't have employees now. I didn't take PPP money then. I probably could have. I didn't. And I'm not going to take ERC money, although I'm sure somebody would be able to find a way for me to take it. And um, and so that was projected originally to cost about $55 billion. So far, the federal government has uh, has paid $230 billion for that program. So $180 billion more than planned. $180 billion more than planned. Um, and the IRS is starting to get concerned about fraud and abuse. And the problem with that is when you pay people an incentive to help others uh, apply for a government program, there, there's going to be some abuse that's going to be baked into that. And, um, and I, I think we're just at a point where the more the government intervenes and the more money that gets pushed out, um, we end up with a situation where we where we are now, where we end up with high inflation, uh, we have high interest rates from the Fed because they're trying to tamp down inflation. You know, we peaked at 9.1% inflation in the summer of 2022, got it down to 3% earlier this summer, and it's ticked back up to 4 And we've had three straight months of inflation increases. And, you know, who knows what it's going to look like when we get the October numbers here in a couple of weeks. But we're, we're at a point where, you know, the Fed's raised the interest rates about five and a half percent over the past year and a half. We're staring down uh, the barrel of another quarter point increase when we get to the uh, November meeting, which is actually next week, and then the December meeting yet. And there's a really good chance the Fed has called for one more increase. We've had three straight months of inflation uh, upticks, and so there's a good chance we're getting another quarter point. And, uh, and that's just, that causes a lot of, a lot of issues because when you're increasing inflation and interest rates are going up, the cost of debt to the federal government increases fast and the cost of debt to the consumer increases fast as well. The primary difference is that we can't print the money to pay it. So we're kind of stuck there and the government can, and they can kind of inflate this. And there's, in fact, there's, uh, there's some economic theory about whether or not you can inflate away debt. Um, it was kind of a tool for monarchs back in the day um, to you know start a war. War uh, takes a lot of resources. It causes inflation in the economy, and they could basically use that inflation to pay off their debts. And and if that sounds confusing, the way it works is, let's say you loan me a thousand dollars today. And I give you a note that says I'm going to pay you back in 20 years. Well, just with the normal rate of inflation, that $1,000 is actually worth less in 20 years than it is today. And so basically, I'm able to repay my debt at about maybe, let's say, 68 cents, maybe 70 cents on the dollar 20 years from now than what I'm paying it. And that sounds great, but the, the more that you kick down the curve, or down, I'm sorry, the more that you kick down the road, kick it to the curb, I think that's the analogy. I don't know my animals. 
Anyway, the longer that you kick it down the road, the, the worse that it gets because at some point somebody's got to pay that debt and it, it will continue to grow and the interest will continue to grow and you just can't inflate it away without having more consequences later. And, um, you know, I've been reading and studying a lot about this very topic once I saw that that number. And uh, one of the pieces that I came across was from Milton Friedman. He uh, was an economist. And he was uh, given a talk back in 1978, and he was asked a question about inflation and how it gets created and what's causing it. And he had a very interesting answer. So uh, listen to this. Yes. In a recent interview of U.S. News and World Report, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Blumenthal uh, blamed our current rising inflation uh, in a large part on our foreign trade and unions. He did, however, say that the government was little to blame. Would you like to comment on that? Yes. If you go back and watch the video, his face there is, is priceless. Unfortunately, it is one of the defects of our political system that we always put a Secretary of the Treasury and other high government officials into a position in which when they make public statements, they are almost driven. Well, what's the word I want to use? I want to use a polite word, equivocate. Secretary Blumenthal knows as well as you and I do that inflation does not come from trade unions. That doesn't mean the trade unions aren't grasping. Of course they are. But they don't produce inflation for one simple reason. They do not own a printing press on which you can turn out green pieces of paper. The only such printing press is in Washington. I say printing press. Of course, in the modern age, we do it in a more sophisticated way. We use bookkeepers and accountants and computers. But it comes out of the same thing. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it? It's too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. Yes, sir. Before you clap, let me point out that the reason why we have too much printing spending and too much printing of money is because you people want it. You and I, we're citizens, we run this country. If Congress has been voting higher and higher spending, why? because it has been politically profitable for them to do it. If they have been voting higher spending and not voting the higher taxes to pay for it, why? Because it's been politically profitable to do it. We would all like to get something for nothing. And so the political process has been leading to Congress increasing spending, not increasing taxes, and financing the difference by the hidden tax of inflation. I think we are unwise. But... Let's not blame the others. The problem, you know, in that famous statement of the cartoonist, we have met the enemy and they is us. So, yeah, I, I agree. Now, Milton Friedman did a couple years later go back and, and admit that uh, government isn't entirely 100% to blame, but 
But he's right. Uh, the more that they print and the more that they push into the market, uh, the more it increases inflation. And, and, uh, and that's where we are. So, you know, we had a situation where we went through the pandemic. Our economy was shut down. It was vibrant. Uh, it, it, was, it was showing some signs of weakness through 2019. And we were probably going to have a soft recession in 2020. I was telling my clients in the summer of 2019 that we should prepare for a soft recession. It was an election year. There was going to be some uncertainty in that regard. And, uh, and there were some other things that were showing up in the credit markets and in the stock markets that just looked like um, in, in the employment markets and in real wages and things like that. It just looked like we were slowing down a bit. Uh, and then the pandemic happened and they shut us down. And then when we're all shut down, a whole bunch of money was pushed into the market. And, and I'm of the mind that a lot of it probably wasn't necessary. Um, how much was it necessary? I don't know. Um, maybe in 20 years they'll study it and, uh, and we'll get an answer on that. But, but anyway, I, I think it's fairly interesting that we are where we are. The government continues to run a deficit. It's increased, uh, by about 61% year over year, their deficits. So it's, uh, ended up running about $1.7 trillion down and, uh, secretary treasury, or I should say uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is comfortable with where we are. She believes that uh, the interest costs that are building are manageable and uh, that we should be important or that it is important that we should be mindful of future spending. And so I don't know what what she means by being mindful of, uh, of future spending. I think we all have to be kind of mindful of, of future spending, but what it looks like for you and I is a little bit different. And so that's where I, I want to transition because it's too easy to pick on the government and talk about all the money that's going all the other places that really aren't that helpful. I mean, we're, we're sending tons of money to Ukraine and now to Israel. Um, we're, we're funding a lot of things in the world that are, um, in my opinion, kind of questionable. But, but again, that's not what this podcast is about. I don't want to go political with it because it's just not helpful to anybody. It's not good. It's not good radio. Nobody cares. Um, it just makes everybody crazy. So I don't want to be a divider. But what I do want to talk about is what 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 do we do when all of this is happening, when there's there's this amount of uncertainty that's in the markets? I think we're all starting to feel it. I mean, we certainly have felt it over the past uh, three years with the amount of inflation that we've had in the economy. Uh, we're starting to feel it now this year. Um, it's just been kind of a, a long time where we, we've had, you know, higher gas prices and now we have higher mortgage rates and now we have higher car loan rates. And, and as I, as I sit right now recording this podcast, the, the markets over the past three months are, are showing, um, a, a pretty good downtrend. I mean, the, the Dow is down 6.7% over the past three months. The S and P is down 8.75. The, the NASDAQ is down uh, 10.2 and um and so people start to get really concerned whenever we see the markets retreat we've seen this happen um you know it, it happened earlier this year in march we went through all of last year which was just a painful year to be an investor um and we we had all of that happening at the same time it was costing us more money to do basic things but we were spending still because there's still a lot of slosh in the market from all of the government stimulus. And that's starting 
to show up in places uh, where it's it's not as helpful. So, you know, we're at a point where, as I said earlier, inflation is ticking back up. We have um, mortgage rates and car loan rates. I mean, I, I had a I have a client who went to buy a car last month and they called me, uh, sorry, last week. <laughs> and they called me and they said, uh, uh, why, you got to look at this. Why are they telling me my rate's going to be this high? We have great credit. And, um, and as soon as I heard the question, I was like, look, the, the U.S. prime rate, which is what car loans and home equity lines of credits and credit cards and personal loans, that's what those loans are they're, they're based on is it's usually the U.S. prime rate plus a, a multiplier or uh, not a spread, I should say, is actually a better way to say it, a spread interest rate that the bank puts on it. So, for example, you may see in your paperwork, it's going to say prime plus 1% or prime plus 1.5% or prime plus 3 or whatever the, the language says. That's going to be the U.S. prime rate plus the bank's rate, whatever that is. And so I went back and looked at where where uh, loan rates are for cars. We're, we're at the highest that we've been since 2001. If you have a prime credit score, which is uh, roughly 661 to 780, uh, a new car loan is going to cost an average of about 6.44% interest. A used car in, in good credit is going to be upwards of 9%. 9% on a car loan, it, it's it's crazy. Um, mortgage rates just hit 8% last week for the first time. Uh, and it's, of course, not the first time ever. Go ask your parents or your grandparents what they paid for mortgage rates in the 80s. They'll They'll tell you kind of, it's kind of like the old, uh, I walked uh, uphill in the snow both ways to get to school barefoot. You know, it's kind of one of those stories, but mortgage rates were high then. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing the mortgage mortgage rates go up over the past three years. The Case Shiller home pricing index is up 33%. The cost of homes are rising. Uh, the, the affordability index is, uh, is just on a nosedive since about January of 2022. Um, and what's really, what's really, really crazy is that, you know, for the past three years, home building has been more affordable than existing home sales. Uh, but we now have home building actually trailing down. Uh, we have housing starts that are down 25% from the peak, which the peak was really just back in July of this year. Um, we have a record that's required from a median income standpoint to buy a house. So uh, that number is up about 54% since August of 2020. If you're going to buy a median priced home, which nationwide right now uh, is $418,800. It may be different in your part of the country, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, I'll tell you that in, here in Arizona and especially in the Valley, Phoenix and Scottsdale, uh, you know, Glendale, Mesa, Chandler, all of this area, you would be hard pressed to find a home worth moving into at $418,000, but they are out there. Anyway, the point is, is that at $418,800, you now need a median income of $114,627. Now that may not sound like a lot of money, especially for a dual income household. But here's the thing. In 2022, the median income for a single person 
was about $74,580, right? So do the math, 74 to 114. The median family income in 2022 was 95,450,000, which is still almost $20,000 below the median that's required at this point. So when you bake inflation into that, our real wage gains are really close to being zero or just slightly positive. If inflation continues to rise above 4%, then they're going to going to go negative and they were negative for all of 2022. So we're we're just at a point where it's getting more expensive to to do things to buy houses. Um, you know, people who have a house right now, you're living there. If you want to change, there's really no great incentive because you're probably locked into a mortgage that's that's at three percent or somewhere below four percent. And why would you sell your house that has a four percent mortgage if you don't have to upgrade or upsize or downsize and you can just kind of exist where you are. Why would you do that and take the the current rate, which is seven point six three? I mean, the 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 economics of that don't really pencil out very well. And uh, in fact, if you're looking at that median home price of four hundred eighteen thousand eight hundred dollars, you put down twenty percent to buy that house, you would have a mortgage of three hundred thirty five thousand and forty dollars. Most people aren't putting twenty percent down when they're buying houses right now, unless they're getting gift money. A lot of programs are allowing people to go in at 10% down or 5% down or 3% down for FHA, FHA or VA programs. But if you did put down 20% and you have now a $335,040 of mortgage, in January of 2022 at a rate of 3.22%, that loan would have cost you principal and interest monthly of $1,452.60. So let's just say rounding up $1,453. That same mortgage today of $335,040 at 7.63% is going to cost you $2,372 and some change. So we're talking almost, almost $900 more to live in the same house than it would have cost you a year and a half ago or now actually because we're in late October, almost two years ago, which is just, it's hard for a lot of people to to think through that, especially now when you're saying, okay, uh, I'm trying to, to earn as much money as I can. Now I'm probably paying student loan payments again. I haven't paid them in three and a half years. So I'm getting used to putting another 200, 300, 800, 1100, whatever your student loan payment is, putting that back into my cash flow. And that hasn't been there, and that feels like another tax again. And that's all inflation is really is is a tax. And um, it, and I, I think we're we're kind of at a point where we're probably not going to see this get any better for some period of time. Maybe the next year, maybe headed into twenty twenty five. And I think it's because, as I said earlier, we've had the Fed raise rates as high as they have, as fast as they have to try to control runaway inflation and all signs indicate that we still are not hitting their targets, especially if inflation is starting to tick back up. The unemployment rate is 3.8% currently. They want to get that closer to about four and a half to feel like they're at somewhat neutral unemployment. And, um, and I think that's going to be a challenge because the longer that the, the employment rate stays below 4% and inflation wants to bounce between three and four, or maybe above four, 
I think the Fed's going to really kind of, they're going to be somewhat handcuffed to to their options. And and right now, the best option they have is to raise rates. And, uh, and, and I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know, I use the word interesting a lot, but I think it, it is. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next year because, you know, there's a little thing that's going to happen next November. And, um, and I'll tell you that, you know, the economy just isn't, it isn't as strong as, as what the current administration is going to campaign on. Um, and we can see it everywhere. I mean, I, I just went through the numbers on what it's cost, you know, what it will cost to just to buy things, to buy a house, to, um, to hopefully, you know, be able to buy a car because cars don't last forever. They're not built to, they're, they're built on replacement cycles. iPhones are built on replacement cycles. Androids are built on replacement cycles. Everything, dishwashers and refrigerators, it's all built to be replaced. And so it's just becoming more and more expensive to do the basic things that we need to do on a daily basis. And it's going to be really hard for the administration to campaign on a good economy. Um, I mean, we're seeing personal savings rates go down. We're seeing credit card usage go up. We're seeing credit card balances rise because the cost of the interest is going up significantly because rates are higher. And so whether or not there's a political response from the Fed and, uh, and the Fed is supposed to be an independent agency, uh, actually, it, it's not even an, a government agency. It is, it's an independent organization, and, um, and we'll see what they do. But, but all of that aside, I was going to play a couple more clips from uh, from some other economists and just kind of drive home the point. But again, I, I don't want to pick on the government. What I want to do here now is focus on what is the best thing that you can do in the face of uncertainty to just kind of have yourself in a good position if we if we do go through the you know the most predicted recession of all time, which we've all been waiting for. Now, for two years, we've been waiting for this recession that's been apparently looming and hasn't showed up yet. But if it does come, and who knows what it's going to be like, how do you prepare yourself? And that's what I want to do now is just is just talk about you and me and how we can how we can do that. Because really, as I said earlier in the podcast, it's it's the the local economy, the smaller economy. That's where you and I play, and that's what matters most. Now, our investments are in the big economy. And so we have some things to, to worry about there, and I'll I'll cover that. But but let's start start with the local, everyday. What are we What are we doing? How do we help? And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to do for our local economy. Like if we're going to to spend money, you want to try to spend locally. That's always helpful, right? And you'll see that uh, you know, especially coming up, we're coming up on the biggest shopping holidays of the year. And so we always have the Black Friday and then we have the local Saturday and then we have Cyber Monday and all that fun stuff. But but shopping local continues to put money into the local economy. It provides jobs. And by the way, if you want to be active in government, please go to your city council meeting and be active at your local government because local government is where it matters most. National government is screwed up and we can't really do a whole lot to impact that, but you can 100% impact at the local level. And so spend your time and energy there, I would, I would say, but, but more importantly, 
The best thing that you can do in the face of uncertainty or in, in the face of looming uncertainty is, is get ready. And one of the best ways to get ready is to get financially ready and get your personal balance sheet as healthy as possible. If you're a business owner, get your business balance sheet as healthy as possible and, uh, and know what's on your, your P&L statement for business owners, for, uh, for people who aren't business owners, know what's happening in your bank account and know what's coming in and know what's going out and know how much you have left over and know if there are places where you have an opportunity to reduce spending and increase saving. That's going to be helpful because you either have to, you know, when, when you're doing this, whether it's a personal balance sheet or a business balance sheet, there's two ways to make it healthy. And one way is to grow the top line. And the second way is to grow the bottom line. And what you have to remember is that there's all the stuff in the middle, which is where all the money's going. So if you're growing your top line, you've got to keep that stuff from getting bigger as the top line gets bigger. And if you do that, you're going to have a healthier bottom line. But if you're earning more and the stuff gets bigger, then your bottom line either stays the same or gets worse. And if you're earning less and your stuff stays the same, then your bottom line drops too. So you really have to understand what's happening on your personal balance sheet. You have to understand what's happening in your business balance sheet and on your P&Ls uh, and in your bank accounts. That's going to be the number one way to get ready for uncertainty because if you have free cash flow, so think of this just like if you're a business, if you have free cash flow, which means you have money left over after everything's paid for, you have options when other people don't. And you have options especially for lean economic times or when things feel tight, you have cash flow where you can do things. You can continue to save. You can make sure that your bills are paid and that there's food on the table. You may even be able to do some extra discretionary spending. You may be able to buy investments when people are selling them uh, out of fear. And by the way, that's a really great segue into the next point. Review your investment strategy because the one thing that we don't want to do is get scared and start selling our investments and sit in cash. Or the temptation right now is going to be to just sell investments if the stock market gets bumpy and go sit in treasury bills because those are paying yields of four and a half and five and five and a quarter and five and a half percent. And the problem is, is that you're adding to you're adding to the debt of the U.S. government um, and it's going to increase their interest cost. And at some point, so many people are going to be buying those that those yields are going to drop. And uh, and then you're going to be sitting there saying, well, uh, you know, my yields dropped. Maybe my prices went up because remember, yields and, and prices and bonds are on a seesaw. They, they move in opposite directions. Um, but it's not going to be as attractive as it was. And so you're, you're going to want to um, to review your investment strategy, take some risk off the table or at least hedge risk. And, uh, and I know, you know, 2022 or 2023 has been a really strange year in the market because it looked like everything was going way up and to the right. And, uh, earlier in the year, say in April and May, I sent a note to clients saying that I was seeing some big movements in, in tech and in growth stocks and specifically related to AI. And I was going to be slow to move that direction because I wasn't sure how sustainable what we were seeing was, and here we are in October, and all of that money has come back. So all of those gains, I, well, I shouldn't say all, most of those gains have been given back, 
And we've had to try to balance against that because we've actually been participating in a situation where if you look at things like the S&P 500, it topped out 20 plus percent this year. Most of that was driven from seven companies. I've talked about this before on a prior episode. Those seven companies have given back a, a lot of their gain. And so the real return of the S&P 500 is actually like negative for the year or flat at best. And so it's been it's been a little bit of a uh, kind of like a smokescreen market. And um, it's, it's just been kind of weird to, to participate and allocate in that. So review your investment strategy. Make sure that you're, you're not trying to chase the high returns. Um, and if you are, be smart about it and know, know what you own and why you own it and for how long you intend to own it. And you, you've heard me talk about those things if you've listened to the podcast or if you've read the Financial Purpose newsletter or the blog post on lifemoveswealth.com. I've talked about this. Anytime I talk about investments, I usually wrap with those three things. Know what you own, why you own it, and for how long you're going to own it. Um, because if you're just buying things on the promise that maybe they're going to go up, you're probably going to get burned. And so know what you own, know why you own it, and know for how long you intend to own it and what your, what your exit strategy is. Um, and on that note, I, I, I'm always and maybe it's because I'm biased, but it can be very, very helpful to get professional help if you're not sure what to do or, or how to do it. The cost of, of a financial advisor um, can seem like a lot, depending on who you're working with. Um, it can seem like another another bill or another thing that you have to pay for that you're not sure if it's necessary. But the cost that you would pay to work with an advisor will and I know I'm not supposed to give guarantees and and uh, speak in absolutes, but I'm going to tell you that it will save you time, it will save you money in interest payments, and it will save you money in taxes over time, and it'll save you in the loss of the value of your investments. Um, I spend a lot of time, as any good advisor should, learning how to not only understand the capital markets overall, but how they move what moves, what parts of it. So if something over here is going bump, how does it impact something that's happening over there? I want to know these things. And more importantly, not only do I want to know that, but I want to know how to know that and help you navigate it. And, and that's the role that I play for people because economic conditions are, are rapidly changing. Market conditions are rapidly changing. And the impact that those things have on your personal life can be very meaningful especially if you don't have a plan in place and if you don't know how financially healthy you are and if you don't know where you stand on your financial health indicators, you're going to get yourself sandwiched into something and then you're going to need help. You may as well do it before it's a crisis. Get financial help. Allow somebody to truly know and understand what's happening in all of the areas of your financial life because it's the only way that they can be helpful. So the more that you hide, the less the less good the advice is. And then you're going to look at it and say, what am I paying for? Well, what you're paying for is to hide things or shield things because you have some uh, financial scars or you have some things that you don't want to admit or maybe some mistakes that you've made or you feel like it's a mistake, but you actually don't know or you feel like you're not worth enough. Whatever that is, 
you're going to have to work with somebody who can help you set that aside so that way you can just deal with where you are and how to move forward. And I think that's very important. And on that, finding a professional, I'm going to say, please be careful with what you take away and implement or self-diagnose from blogs and from social media, because it's really easy to make a TikTok video or write a post on, on one of the networks and tell people to do things with money when you have absolutely no responsibility for that advice. You have no governance over what you're telling people to do. And it doesn't matter to you how it gets implemented because you're only there to get the likes and to get the follows and to get the comments. I don't have that luxury. And any professional advisor, especially somebody with the, with the letters CFP behind their name, we don't have that luxury. We can't just put things out there and then not have any, any regard or responsibility for what happens. We're 100% responsible for what happens to you if we give you advice. And so work with somebody who has something at stake in the advice that they're giving you. Work with somebody who has done what you're trying to do or who is going the direction that you're trying to go. Work with somebody who puts their license and their profession and their family and their livelihood on the line by giving advice. Because it's not, it's too easy to get into this business. It's too easy to sell insurance. It's too easy to uh, sell annuities. It's too easy to sell. It's very hard to give and guide good financial advice. And you want somebody who's going to do that. And that's going to help you manage uncertainty. Now, here's the thing. I don't have certainty to give you in the face of uncertainty. I don't have that. I am not going to sell certainty. That's irresponsible. It's malpractice. But what I do have is ways that we can work around uncertainty or work within uncertainty to try to do the best we can to put you in the better position as much as possible, even if the markets are going down and your investment accounts are going down with them. We want to make sure that we're doing things to where the investment account isn't going down as much. Or if the markets are going up, we want it to go up, but we want it to go up responsibly. We don't want it to just rocket ship with everything else because rocket ships always come down faster than they go up. It's very important to remember that. So in the face of uncertainty, those are the things that I would offer to you. Get yourself in a better position. Get your balance sheet healthy. Get your business balance sheet healthy. Know what's in your P&L. Know what's in your bank accounts. Get professional help and work with somebody, not because of whatever logo or name is on the statement or on the door. That doesn't matter. The firm, the name of the firm, how big it is, how much money they manage, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is who is the professional that is helping you do what you need to do because that's probably somebody who is staking their reputation and their livelihood and their career on what happens to you. And that's the kind of person you want to find. So if you have questions about any of this, if you want to look at your situation, send an email to life moves, I'm sorry, info at lifemoveswealth.com or go out to lifemoveswealth.com and read a little bit more about the work that I'm doing there. But as this podcast goes, 
you're probably going to start to hear, especially at the upcoming holiday parties, you're probably going to start to hear people talk about this and they're going to talk about money and how much money is going over here and what the government's doing. And, and, um, you know, somebody lost their job. My neighbor, the guy across the street from me stopped me, uh, the other day as I was coming in the driveway and told me that, you know, he, he was let go because the owner had a, a choice between him who was higher paid and somebody newer who was less paid. And, uh, and the guy that was higher paid got, got the ax and, um, you were going to start to see these things and we're going to hear these stories Share this podcast episode with somebody who you care about, who is talking about having concerns around money or concerns around the economy or concerns around their job or concerns around their savings rate or concerns around the stock market. Share this information because you are somebody who can be helpful to somebody who probably needs help. And so if you have questions, if they have questions, again, send an email, info at lifemoveswealth.com go over to lifemoveswealth.com. I hope that this has been helpful. And um, again, rewind, listen, share, leave a comment, leave a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to. That would be helpful to me. And until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com. 